Hello out there to whoever's listening. This is Pastor Tim Dooner of Valley Forge Presbyterian Church, and I welcome you to this first episode of the Winter 2020 series called 2020 Vision. During this series, we're considering different teachings of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount while we ask ourselves, are we seeing Jesus clearly with 2020 vision? This uh, first reflection is entitled, You Are the Salt of the Earth. I invite you to enjoy and become centered by a time of quiet and stillness as we prepare to think about this together. So what I share for your consideration and imagination in this episode is in uh, response to a portion of Matthew's Gospel, uh, where Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is recorded. This is from the end of the fourth and into the beginning of the fifth chapters of Matthew's work. He writes, From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, You are the salt of the earth. But if a salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. We are grateful for how God uses the scripture to shape and inspire and call us. I wish you out there uh, listening a happy new year. Believe it or not, it's 2020. As Barbara Walters would say, this is 2020. We spent the last, <laughs> that was terrible. We spent the last four months of 2019 um, and reflecting on what it means for us that we've as a congregation accepted the invitation of God and the denomination to become a Matthew 25 congregation. We considered the parables of Jesus from Matthew 25 that set the theological and ideological foundation for our understandings of who we are as Christians, as the church. And we ventured into the first of the three major areas of focus within the Matthew 25 initiative by reflecting on the seven marks of Christian or congregational vitality. As we move into 2020, play on the numbers by asking if we are those whose focus, work, worship, witness, lives are conformed to the example of Jesus, are we seeing Jesus with clarity? Are we seeing him clear enough to emulate him well? If someone has 2020 vision, the letters, numbers, and shapes on the chart that's 20 feet away are crisp and clear. There's no mistaking what we see. 
but there are a number of reasons why those letters and numbers and shapes are not crisp. And what someone might think they see is not actually what is there. And so in this series, we're looking at these teachings from Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, and we're asking, are we seeing Jesus and therefore ourselves and others clearly? Or are we seeing something else about who he is or who he says we are? Are we seeing something else due to an assumption or assumptions or due to a bias that we have or to desire? So we start this series on Epiphany Sunday, the first Sunday in January of the new year, because this whole series of, of reflections, and, and really all of our life, depends on us having the Christian epiphany, the realization that Jesus is the Christ, and that the fullness of God's truth, God's will, God's intentions for us and all creation are revealed in the Christ. And then, having that epiphany, conforming our attitudes, our viewpoints, our actions to Jesus' example and teachings, and not to the example or teachings of any other human leader or idea. Matthew tells of Jesus beginning his ministry, going out into the world to proclaim the kingdom and to cure diseases and sickness among all people, not just those who were worthy or were rich enough to afford it all people. Matthew tells of his fame spreading all throughout Syria and all these other places, how the great crowds from Galilee were following him, not because of his lessons on the law in the synagogues, but because what he was doing outside of the synagogues and the temple, because of his insistence that all people belonged to the kingdom of God's love and that all people including the most marginalized, deserved to be loved and healed and included. And then Matthew narrates Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and then after he sat and the disciples joined him, he began to teach the crowds. In this sermon, we are invited to hear and to see Jesus clearly. We're invited to imagine ourselves on the hillside, watching and listening to this man who we claim is the one, the one voice, the one heart, the one way, the one witness, the one embodiment of God's nature, the embodiment of true humanity as God intends for us all. As we watch and listen, we're invited to ask ourselves with humility and honesty, have we been seeing Jesus clearly all along in our life to this point? Or has our vision of Jesus been clouded or skewed by the assumptions we have based on what we were taught by pastors, preachers, or parents in the past? Or by our confirmation bias, this way that our brains have evolved to selectively take in new information that confirms our beliefs and filters out and ignores that which contradicts them? Is what we hold to be true based on other people? parents and preachers, is what we hold to be true based on our own experiences which are unavoidably shaped into memories with this filtering and bias? Or is what we hold to be true based on what Jesus actually said and did? 
the first thing that Jesus taught the crowds in the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes, the blessed ours, which we skip in this series of episodes and reflections because we reflected on the Beatitudes uh, one time from uh, June through August of 2018. Uh, and, and I'll have to get those up um, in this podcast someday soon. To quickly summarize, his sermon starts with these sentiments out from the Beatitudes. This is what a life that is blessed, affirmed by God and others, is actually good and true, looks like. The prayerfully constrained strength of meekness, hungering for righteousness, mercy, and peacemaking. And as we find ourselves fearing to be on the verge of war, perhaps we long for more to see Jesus clearly in 2020. Then after making this affirmation about what a blessed life, what an actual true and good life looks like, Jesus says that which is the focus of this reflection. You are the salt of the earth. Now when you hear the word salt, I wonder what your first thought is. Mine is yum. I love salt. I like a little bit of mashed potatoes with my salt. When I would uh, have the opportunity to get a soft pretzel at a baseball game or Rita's or something, I would always want to pick the soft pretzel that was absolutely caked in salt. And then I would want to snack on the salt that fell off into the napkin. Maybe you also think of the taste of salt. Maybe you're a beach person. And salt makes you think of seawater. Maybe you're stocked up for the winter. And the word salt reminds you of snow and ice that have to be cleared. But in Jesus' time, salt was most often associated with the treatment and preservation of food. Salt is the primary method of preserving meats and other foods as far back as our history records. Scientists can now explain uh, what folks figured out all those centuries ago, that the absorption capacity of salt creates increased osmotic pressure around mold and microbes so that they cannot survive or reproduce when the moisture is removed from them. Scientists can tell us that, and that about a 20% concentration of salt on the surface is what's needed to preserve most meats. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he wasn't saying that we are those who make the world taste better or add a bit of spice to life. That may be true to a certain extent, probably more so for the extroverts out there than those of us introverts who quietly watch from the corner. But our main role as disciples and stewards is not to spice up, but to preserve. With those kind of lives that Jesus affirms in the Beatitudes, with our prayerfully and carefully managed strength, with our hunger, our desire for righteousness, with mercy, with an intentionality to nurture peace. We are those who are to preserve the earth, the created order of earth and humanity. We are those who are to keep the world from becoming spoiled, rancid, dangerous, diseased, engulfed in war. Jesus goes on to say, if salt has lost its taste, 
How can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. So this translation into English does talk about salt losing its taste. But, but the word in Greek is actually more like our word insipid. It's, it's not just about the salt lacking taste. It's also about it lacking vitality or strength. If a salt has lost its strength, its ability to be absorptive, its ability to preserve, then it's not good for anything. Throw it out underfoot. Maybe then it'll melt, at least melt some ice. We are those who have a vitality and a strength, a capacity to be strong, godly, merciful, instigators and nurturers of peace. And if we aren't living as these kinds of people who thereby preserve the goodness and the peace of the world, what good are we? Are we hearing that clearly? Are we seeing Jesus clearly as he invites us to this understanding of who we actually are right at the beginning of this sermon? Or are we making assumptions about what it means to be a Christian or a member of a congregation based on what a parent or a pastor or a preacher taught us once upon a time? Or are we filtering this out and not allowing it to shape us because of our bias toward a version of Christian practice and ritual that serves my preferences and is somehow easier for me or better for me? According to Matthew, later in his gospel, at some point in his life with Jesus, Peter had seen enough. And when prompted with, who do you say that I am by Jesus, Peter answers, you are the Messiah. He had his Christian epiphany. Jesus was the one God sent to guide the world to healing and peace. And in response, Jesus says to Peter, upon this rock, Upon this epiphany confession, I will build my church and nothing will stand against it. If our Christianity, if our worship, our study, our offerings, our buildings, our daily living are not expressions of our saltiness, our calling to be those whose words, actions, and lives intentionally participate in the preservation of of people and the world with strength and mercy and peacemaking, then we demonstrate that we have not seen or heard Jesus clearly. If our lives participate in or ignore the fracturing, spoiling, or destruction of the world, or the harming of others rather than preserving them, if, if our lives contribute to that or just ignore that those are there and they don't intentionally engage them, we are not seeing Jesus clearly. But if they are, if our worship, our study, our offerings, our buildings, our life together, our daily living, are, are expressions of our saltiness, then we can be confident that nothing will stand against us in our mission to love and serve and to preserve for the sake of the world becoming the kingdom that Jesus imagined it to be. In a joint statement published uh, the Friday that before this um, reflection was offered to our congregation, early January, our denomination was one of 25 faith entities 
from around the world that join together to say to the world, our faith communities see the futility of war and its power to dehumanize. We know that human flourishing entails breaking cycles of violence, being courageous peacemakers, and focusing on the root causes of conflict. Violent conflict is a path of mutual destruction. That is a Christ-like and salty statement to make to the world in response to the escalation of violence in our relationship with Iran. It's a great example of saltiness. And so we are invited to set aside our assumptions, to intentionally pause and move beyond our bias so that we can hear and see Jesus clearly. You are the salt of the earth, he says. So let us help to preserve people, planet, and peace in his name. By the inspiration of our epiphany, and with God's help, a grateful world will come to appreciate us as we appreciate the salt on our pretzels. Amen. And may God bless you in your reflections and in your prayers and in your living for the sake of peace. Take care.